Jan and I had landed in Hawaii 2012 in the fall. We had just come over to renovation. We left Crossroads and had that window of time where we were not meeting as a church. We were visiting a lot of different churches, but we took about 10 days, two weeks. I can't remember. had the opportunity from a friend of ours to be able to go there and landed and went to the rental car place. And the rental car person proceeded to try to sell me insurance. This went on for minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes and and tried to describe to me how much crime is in Hawaii. When you go to stop at a waterfall, someone will break into the trunk of your car, someone will knock a window out, someone will, and I would go, well, that's all, yeah, I'm all right, I've been here before, been before. they'd go on, I'd just go right back to it. Finally, I got with Jan, and she, we finally got the car, but I told her, I said, I think probably what we should do is just get a return ticket and fly home, because this place is too dangerous. <laughs> it's just simply too dangerous. <laughs> I'm scared right now. I'm in fear. But to land on a vacation, to get there, and the first thing you get is a presentation of fear. Turn on a news outlet. Get an email. The sowing of fear is a way of this world. It just is. The Romans 12, 1 and 2 addresses that, right? So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing, God, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be charged, you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. Well-formed maturity, not informed, but maybe that's the case too, right? Three of the questions. That you're tired of hearing. Are you holding anyone else to a standard that you would not hold yourself to? Do you consistently compare your best to someone else's, whether a group or individuals, someone else's worst? What do you do with truth? That's the third question. We have the wise fool. We'll flash it up there again in case it's your first time here. What do you do with truth? Not looking to the left, my left, not looking to my right, looking right here, asking the question of myself. The mirror, transformation, God taking us somewhere.
We're not what we want to be, but we're not what we used to be. God changing us. So my question today, and hopefully for your benefit, next week we will close out the mirror series, and probably for mine too. For the time being, Lord willing, we will close that out. But as a little prelude to next week, I felt like the question today, and it's been burning in my heart, because I've told Jan this, and this is something that's happened over time, is I've become, the older I get, the less, the more risk-averse I become. Not sure why. The more things I have, even the more finances I have, the less I'm willing to risk. When you have nothing, you're willing to risk everything, right? But when you have a bunch, you all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you go into protective mode. Instead of laying up treasures in heaven where moth and vermin and and rust and all that can't get it, you build up treasure here where the economy or something else can. I'm not willing to risk my eternal destiny, but I may be willing to risk what it may be like here. I'm having to come to that conclusion. Because I lived that way for a long time. I'm not sure I've lived that way a lot over the last many years. Become very protective. And the question today is, and I'm asking me just as I'm asking you, when was the last time I had to face a moment with great courage? When was the last time I had to face a moment with great courage? So many of us build our lives where we don't have to face that. We try to create spaces where we don't have to deal with that. I'm not talking about anxiety. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm not talking about the tenseness that goes with that. I'm talking about with great courage that God is prompting you, God is moving you, God is asking you to be obedient. God is that. First Corinthians 16, 13, 14. Be on your guard. In other words, we always should be, as, as first, I think it's First Peter 5, AC, be self-controlled and alert because you need to be the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for those to devour. We should always be alert, be on guard. There's never a point where we're not on guard. Stand firm in the faith, always standing firm in what your foundation is. Oh, that, that's never going to change. Th- those things don't change. We always need to know what doesn't change. 
But here's the problem with status quo. We all kind of, if we're not careful, we're there. We get the status quo because we accept the status quo. That's, the status quo is not your foundation, not your values. That's a different thing. That's something you're never going to be swayed, moved here and there by every wind and doctor. That is your foundation. Status quo, though, doesn't allow much room for this. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. And it flips it on you. Do these, have your foundation, but then do what? Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in agape. Do everything for the good of others. The Greek word for courage, it's used only one time. This word right here for courage is only used this time in Scripture, the only time. And don't, don't get all, because I'm just saying what, how it, it, it says. It means to act as a man. I don't mean that in a, you know. It means as a full-grown, mature person. Be responsible and courageous by taking the initiative God reveals through his faith. Be brave. What are we just reading Romans 12, 2 in the message? Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Courageous. Be a full-grown man or woman. Grow up. Be mature in your faith. So God will show you, he will reveal to you, and you act on it in faith. Be brave. For some of us, one of the greatest acts of courage we can do, put the wise fool evil back up just for a second. It's what we do with truth. Maybe the most courageous thing some of you need to do right now. To walk towards the light. To be willing to be corrected. Oh, you may not need to run into a house burning down and save somebody. You just need this to start happening. As God begins to prompt you and he begins to speak into your life and he begins to show you and begins to reveal to you, you begin to walk towards it. You don't take it as we did a few weeks ago. You don't take that light and that truth and do this. Oh, I'm just going to deflect it. I'm going to try not to put it in your eyes. Okay. I'm just going to deflect it. I'm going to take it. I'm just going to, when you show it on me, guess what I'm going to do with it? You know what? Well, at least I didn't break it. I could have attacked you. Because that's another thing that we see, obviously. All you got to do is watch the news and social media. I don't need to deal with truth because as I, if I don't have to deal with truth, all I have to do is keep dumping it back on you 
I don't have to look at me. You can do that, but let me tell you right now, Romans 12, 2 tells us that God doesn't, God sees right through all that. All that facade and all that deflecting and all that attacking and all that whatever you're doing, God sees through all that. And what happens when it comes to this? No question. There's disruption when this truth begins to land on us. There's disturbance. Have you ever been disturbed by God's truth? It disturbs you. It disrupts you. It disrupts your plan. It disrupts where you were headed. It disrupts what you wanted. It disrupts your finances. It disrupts your time. It disrupts relations. It disrupts. I would say most people. Most people see the changes they need to make, for the most part. Not all of it, because we, talk we talked about it last week. You know, there's a side of me I let you see, a side of me I don't let you see, and a side of me I can't see without your help. I don't see everything, but for the most part, when I look in the mirror, the reason why this view is way better than this view Especially as you get older. How did that get back there? <laughs> Anybody ever said that to yourself? How did that get there? But as long as I look here, most of us know may not have the courage to do it, may not have the discipline to do it, may not have the, we know. But the reason so many of us don't do it because it disrupts. It disrupts things. Change of God, and sometimes it's little disruption, it's just a tiny bit, sometimes it's a whole different occupation. Sometimes God comes landing in your life and you leave, like Jan and I did, you leave a job that was secure and making good money and good benefits for a job that was insecure. You realize that in the church of the Nazarene, if the lead pastor resigns, everybody else on the staff has to resign. And they don't have to take you with them. You may not want to go where they're going to and wherever that is. You literally lose your job in that moment and pay for your own benefits in 1992. Sometimes there's significant disruption. But thank goodness Jan and I didn't have hardly anything because we were willing to risk everything. Oh, we had three kids, but, you know, you can do what you can with you have to farm one of those out? No, just kidding. 
But when you don't have much, you're willing to risk it all. Even though I had a great job, I look back and trying to compare what I made in 1992 to what I make, what it would be in 2021. I'm going, I made pretty good money at that age. And then what I compare it to what I got paid at the church with no benefits. You go, what were you thinking? That should be normal. That's not unique. That, that shouldn't be like, oh, look at Kurt. No, that should be the way we all. Doesn't mean you disrupt it that way. That's not what I'm saying. But God comes to disrupt. He comes to disturb in a way to get you to move it. Not all the time. We all are at peace. Scripture talks about peace. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But sometimes the reason we're not at peace is because we're not obedient to the disruption. What if? There's another question. First question this morning was when was the last time you had to face a moment with great courage? What if out of our abundance of one thing, it is costing me and others the abundance of something else? What if out of the abundance of this, it is costing me and those connected to me the abundance of something else? Now, Bryce, I was impressed by you riding the bicycle on stage this morning. This is Macy's bicycle. Macy's my, right now, youngest granddaughter that I have physically in the world that I see. This week, that will change, we hope. We're still all for Macy. Don't mean that I, that doesn't. But Charlie... Can you imagine? Yes, there are probably three or four hundred people a year killed on bicycles in the U.S. Even hit by a car. We had a good friend of ours in Texas, dear friend of ours, whose daughter just hit a bump in the road when she was in college. At, 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 at that time, it wasn't SNU or Bethany or whatever it was called at the time. And she fell and hit a curb and broke her neck and died. Just in college, nobody hit her. Oh, yeah, they can be dangerous. But most of us in here can't imagine not riding a bicycle. It took courage. It took help. It took challenge. It took taking the training wheels off. We took caution with our kids, but appropriate caution. For instance, we go out in the middle of water somewhere. For my kids, I don't care how great a swimmer they are, in certain situations, we're probably going to wear a life vest, little bitty ones. This would be a little bitty life vest. It's not an overabundance of caution, but it's a good caution. It's an appropriate caution. It's something you said, okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. But I was reading this week, and 
And those of you who know me well enough know that February for me is a unique week. I mean, unique month for me. My mom and Colton's birthday are on the same day, but my mom passed away about three years ago. So February is, is unique. Uh, February, uh, 12, 2000, uh, February 17, 2012, that I'll talk about here briefly in a little bit. And then it's usually Ash Wednesday or the beginning of Lent in that range somewhere. Not always, but most often. I said maybe it, it, it's there. So there is this beginning to start thinking and reflecting. It's a lot of reflection involved in it. But as I was reading, and I get a blog each day, and I'm not saying, I don't know that, and I've said this before, I don't know Seth Godin, uh, most likely he's probably not a believer, but people who speak truth, I think all truth comes from God. No matter who speaks it. Now again, I realize that there's some things with that you can take and run with and go, I wouldn't repeat anything that person said or that person. I get that. I understand that. But he wrote something this week, and I kind of crunched it down a little bit, and I thought, man, this, this, is, this is really, it's on, it was on 217, and I'll come back to that here in a minute, why February 17th is so significant in my mind. But he wrote this, and I, I kind of condensed it, but he said, an abundance of caution. At least you won't get blamed if something goes wrong. It turns out that we don't need an abundance of caution. We need appropriate caution. They're different things. Abundant caution is wasted. By definition, though, abundant caution is not only more than we need, it's more than is helpful. Because we get hooked on the feeling. That was the line there that probably caught me the most. We get hooked on a feeling. We can always make a risk ever smaller, but the cost is that we will increase other risk. Please don't avoid appropriate caution. It matters to you and the community. But seeking reassurance and peace of mind by trying to drive risk to zero doesn't get you either one of them. If you had told me That the greatest risk, if you told me in January 2020, that the greatest risk that this church body would take in 2020 is meeting together in person, I would have told you you were crazy. Are you kidding me? That's the greatest risk? Yes, I read in Christianity Today last month that there are 13 Christians killed per day for their faith around the world. 13 per day. Churches burned around the world every day. Or average, I mean, not every day, but average out. That's not us. But our greatest risk in 2020, personally, is hugging my grandkids. That's the biggest risk I'm going to take? I would have thought, what, what, what world we live in? There's appropriate caution, then there's an abundance of caution. We're not careful, the abundance of caution gets us off the hook. If we're not careful, we take that into our own personal spiritual lives. Not willing to risk, not willing to take courage. Oh, well, that's.
Out of abundance of caution, we won't do that. Out of abundance of caution, we won't have children because they may grow up to be whatever. Out of abundance of caution, I won't get married because I may get my heart broken. Out of abundance of caution, I won't have relationships because somebody may let me down. Out of abundance of caution, I'm not going to get in the car. I'm not going to teach you how to drive because out of abundance of caution, you could hit somebody or somebody could hit you and you die. There's an appropriate caution. We as Wesleyans believe in reason. We believe in historical. We believe in God's nature. We believe in Scripture. But if we're not careful, it fogs our minds of what really the truth is. And when we don't know how to get to the truth, when we don't know how to get there, what happens is we get paralyzed by abundance of caution. Actually, it becomes a status quo. Actually, what it becomes is an excuse. I believe in appropriate caution. Those who know me. I was a hand washer before hand washing was famous. You know it. Those who know me. I was wiping stuff down way before COVID-19. That's just me. I'm not saying it was smart or right. I'm just saying that was, to me, it was reasonable. If I'm sick, I stay home. Seemed reasonable. Seemed like an appropriate caution. But if Craig Rochelle's statement is true about us individually... We're only as strong as we are honest. If you say that about a culture and about a country, you're only as strong as you are honest. How strong are we right now? I don't want to turn on the news. And feel like I'm standing at a counter in Hawaii getting sold insurance for my rental car. I wouldn't talk. That's not my nature. That's not the way I'm supposed to live as a believer out of fear. Oh, appropriate, yes. Wisdom, yes. See, when I look in this mirror, and as I said, the other question is, how often do you look in this mirror and say to yourself, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a purpose for my life, and I hope and pray that I don't look back on my life and look at those years that I wasted worrying about things that God would have said, be brave. Be courageous. Stand firm in your faith. Kurt, stand firm in your faith. Be alert, Kurt. Be alert. Know the word. Know the world around you. See the schemes of the devil. He's a, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. I'm going to show you those things. But what I need you to do is to, when I reveal things to you, I need you to be brave. Because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I didn't bless you to protect all of it. Let me worry about that. 
The problem with so much of this is sometimes we take appropriate precautions, sometimes we don't. The problem is sometimes when we follow God by faith, he doesn't give us the details to go with it. I'm an instruction guy. I like to get the instruction book. Many of you go, well, let's look at that later. If we can't put it together, it won't work. We'll look at the instruction book. How many of you are that way? I'm many of you. We know that. But I'm the guy who's going to lay out all the parts. I'm that guy. I'm going to lay them all out, spread it all out. I want to know what it says. I... I was watching a video this week. It just made me think of it. It's one of my favorite videos of all time. I'm going to show it because I like it, but I do think it has a point. Let's show it to her. Charlie. Charlie bit me. That has been viewed 880 million times. I'm not making it up. That's not an exaggeration. Eight, almost a billion times. The older brother didn't take into account adequate. He did adequate precautions, probably not en enough, though, okay, when sticking his finger in his mouth. What they didn't know was they'd become millionaires. It's the truth. But sometimes when you don't know all the details, you just go ahead and do it anyway, right? I get that. And also the reason I like that, because I'm about to have a granddaughter named Charlie. And I've said before, if you want to talk about your family, get your own church. I get to do it this way. <laughs> nah. It's like Tori and Bryce, Sarah and Jason... Messiah Michelle, especially the first time mom and dads, you're making promises without details. You think you know, you don't. But it's okay. Follow after him. Be faithful. Stand firm. Be courageous. Be brave. Be adventurous. We don't all want all raise kids, and there's different reasons, or God doesn't bless us, I, I, or whatever that's the right word is. I don't even know what the right word is there. I don't know why. All I know is, is that he asks us to stand firm, be brave, pray. People often say things about coincidence, and, I, and I, you've heard me say this before. Coincidence happens more often when I pray. You know, and this week as I was preparing for this message, thinking about February and thinking about my mom and, you know, Allie called me. And one reason, you know, obviously, it's, it, February 8th 
is, is unique for me, for Jan and I, and especially for me, is, is it's my mom's birthday and it's Colton's birthday. So there's a celebration and reflection. It never, it's always both now. It wasn't always that way, but it is now. And Allie called, I think it was, I know she called and said, hey, Dad, how you doing today? Thinking about Mama, just wanted you, you know, yeah, Mama, we're from the South. And uh, I said, you know, I think about Mom a lot on this day because I think about her all the time and have a picture and her and her dad, and dad, you know. I said, but what I think about sometimes on these days like this is to realize three years has gone by and my life's gone on, meaning that someday I'm going to pass away and you guys are, you guys are just going to keep moving. Keep moving. And this cycle of life just works this way. And it's kind of crazy to kind of stop and think about it because all of us probably to some degree think we're going to live forever even though we know we're not. We know, we know we're not, but we think we are. That's the reason why we waste so much time. I heard a guy say one time, surely there's got to be a heaven because we're going to waste this much time on this kind of stuff here on earth. Surely there's got to be something better. But in February 12th, 2000, uh, 2000, February 17th, 2012, it was one of those days that, and, and I won't go into the details here because it's, it's, it's a long story and I won't get into it deeply, but, but it was, I, as many of you know me, I wrote in my journal that day, I started reading the book that many of you already know really well, it's called For, uh, Renovation of the Heart and Daily Practice. It's a phenomenal, if you've never, if you do not have a devotional, order this one for 40 days, or 60 days actually, I think it is, and it is powerful. I just can't recommend it enough. I've done it so many times, but I started it on February 17, 2012, because I had interviewed, Jan and I had interviewed here at, at, at this church on the Monday before on February 13th. I did not know that the 16th and 17th of February 2012 was going to be the darkest day of my soul up to that point in my life. I've had others. And then somebody had given me this, and I started reading it went on top of Usury Mountain on the back side over there where I'd hiked. And I wrote in here about the darkest day of my soul. But I also wrote that day about Jan's dream. Jan and I had a horrible fight that morning, and there was no reason for it because of where I was. I'd been up at that point 30-something hours straight, had not slept because of the warfare going on around me, and I believed it. Allie called, and back now she'll do it, but back then she didn't give me songs. She sent me a song, said, Dad, you need to listen to this song while I'm waiting. I mean, she sent me the songs, like, out of nowhere. Like, she never does that. She texts me, says, you need to listen to this song. I'm at 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. She got up, and I'm looking at the sunrise from the east. And, I, and Jan tells me about this dream she had about this river and she was on pro- walking this property, and she's walking. Well, she and I were here with another couple, and they were on this property, and and for whatever reason, there was this. She said we came on the property, and it was all dead. And if you had seen this property nine years ago, you would know a little bit about what I'm getting at here with stuff on it uh, at times, and the interior, and all the things, and it, everything was dead here. Said so she woke up, went to the restroom, came back. Jump right back into the dream. I don't know how many times that's ever happened to you. Jump right back in the dream. And this time she picked up the dream. And Jan, I think I'm shooting. I'm, I don't know. They'll leave out some details. But as she came back, this time there was a river. There was a stream flowing across it. And all of a sudden in that stream, things started green, started popping up. Different colors of grass. Different colors just started popping up everywhere. Because there was this stream flowing across it. 
things were coming alive. And I know for some of you listening, if you're here, you've said that you've, you, God has shown you things about water running across. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Don't, don't, I'm not trying to get all wooey on you. But that day I went out there and took this book with me. And I want to read this part and we're going to close in just a second. Dallas Willard, if you don't know Dallas Willard, but his, the name of today's devotion, the first day, is called Kingdom Possibilities. When we open ourselves to New Testament writings and absorb our minds and hearts in one of the Gospels and letters such as Ephesians 1 or, 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 Ephesians or 1 Peter, we get the impression we are looking into another world, another life. It is a divine world and a divine life. Leaping out from the pages are amazing promises to those who give their life to this new world through their confidence in Jesus. For example, Jesus says that those who give themselves to him will receive living water. The Spirit, and this is on the same day. The Spirit of God himself, he will keep them from ever again being thirsty, being driven and ruled by unsatisfied desires. Indeed, indeed, they will receive rivers of living water flowing from the center of their life to a thirsty world. Paul prayed that believers will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that they will, may be filled with all the fullness of God by the power at work within us that is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. Peter said that those who love and trust will rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, with genuine mutual love pouring from their hearts, ridding themselves of all malice. Look in the mirror, all guile, insincerity, envy, and slander. Is if that weren't enough, these believers would silence scoffers of the way, which is what it was called, the way of Christ, by simply doing what is right and casting all their anxiety upon Christ because he cares for us. Ordinary people have entered this kingdom and are entering this divine world and this divine life now. It is a world that seems open to us and beckons us to enter. We feel its call. So this morning, as I was preparing, I had not looked ahead If you haven't gotten this, I just encourage you to seek God for the city as you pray. As I opened up this morning, Sunday, February 21st, to pour out fresh rivers of his spirit. In John 7, 37, 38, which I read, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Coincidence happens more often when I pray. And I pray that streams of living water will be evident in my life. John 10.10, 10, sometimes the abundance of one thing keeps us from the abundance of something else. John 10, 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says that I have come that you may have life and have it what? Abundantly. 
What if an abundance of caution, not appropriate, but abundance of caution is keeping you from living abundantly? As I work through this week, just thinking about Lent, we don't do Ash Wednesday, even though I encourage people if they want to do it that way. They're sure more than two, and those who work through Lent as a part of their discipline, but mostly part of their preparation for Easter. I am looking at next week as we come back of challenging you. To make some decisions. And one of the ways I want to do that as we watch this video, I'll come back to this, is it begin to think about what maybe is there that I'm so abundant here that's keeping me from living abundantly here. And, and picture this of living life with your hands up and open instead of gripping. But I want to show this Lent video, even though we don't celebrate it as some would, it is going to be a part of us as we prepare for Easter. I want to show you this as we go. It begins with a realization. An epiphany claws its way through a snarl of distractions, emblazoning itself behind your eyelids. Sometimes it's quieter, a nagging dullness in the soul, a kind of fatigue wrought by overstimulation and overprogramming. You're tired. At first, it's just a thought that emerges from the fray, but it becomes a recognition and finally a reckoning. You look in the mirror one day and it's plain, just three words, I'm not ready. With our attentions wheeling around in so many directions, we feel incapable of joy. Amid the proliferation of half-satisfactions and easy pleasures, we hardly feel hungry for real resurrection. This realization of our spiritual lethargy persists. It lengthens like a shadow and it darkens like a late afternoon in midwinter. We are not ready for Easter. How we got here is not so important as the way out. Lent is a changing of posture, a turning around, an uncoiling of the soul that is curved in on itself. It's taking a hard look at where our freedoms have actually enslaved us. We anesthetize our emotions as soon as we feel them. We carve our own worlds of pleasures and preferences and end up on our own, trapped in ourselves, exiled from God and from our communities. And somewhere we've lost our imaginations and discarded our best hopes. The way home is always through the wilderness, the desert, the moors, the frozen tundra, the woods. These are not where we find God, but rather, their desolation and silence give us space to ponder, to listen, to be still. The journey is both physical and spiritual, involving our whole selves. It's tough, but the ascetic disciplines of Lent make it easy to misunderstand. It's not a hunger strike or an angry discipline to secure specific demands. It's not a power play or a dissident throwdown to manipulate God, not a reciprocal exchange, thinking our effort would counterclaim God's blessing. 
in our hunger, our longing, and our discomfort, we meet our weakness. We confront the limits we thought we had transcended, the needs we thought we had filled. Lent is taking a break from the degrading cycle of serving incessant appetites, either our own or someone else's. It's a 40-day pilgrimage into a severe landscape of longing, hope, and expectation, where winter is slowly giving way to spring. It's 40 days of clinging to the promise of something better. It's 40 days of learning to love the future. It's 40 days of putting one weary foot in front of the other, fueled by the hope of resurrection. It's 40 days of following Christ's footsteps into the wilderness to prepare our hearts for his passion, the way of sorrows and Good Friday. It's 40 days of giving something up, opening our hands and letting go so that our palms are open to receive. It's 40 days of remembering that we are dust and to dust we shall return. I'm a firm believer that many people never take action unless they're challenged, but we're going to be doing that over the next week. Just be asking, maybe even reading Romans 12, 1 and 2 from the message. And asking the Lord to begin to show us as we begin to live with their hands open instead of protecting yes we protect there are certain things and please don't hear what I'm not saying there are certain things we go to protection mode I'm a dad believe me and a husband I am in protection mode most of the time you know what I'm saying here I'm a pastor and I'm a shepherd I want to protect but not at the cost of the abundant life stand with us as we close. I'm going to pray for us and sign in. We'll close with a song. But as I pray, just begin to ask ourselves the question. One, Lord, what are you revealing to me, Lord? For some of you, you've never, you don't even know how to get your mind around it. I agree. I know when I gave my life to Christ, I had no clue what the details were. I just knew something I had to follow. Some of you may not come next week because you're going to be challenged. It's okay. I hope you will. hope you'll invite someone. Let me pray for us, Lord. We just pray right now as we close. And this next week, maybe we sit down and we take that time. And as much about what Lent is, way more than any sermon I'm preaching. But it is our time with you, Lord. It is a reflection. 
And Lord, we know anything that's great in our lives is probably going to be hard. <laughs> it's a disruption, a disturbance. I'm a man alive. That disturbance and that disruption, if we don't go through it, the wilderness, the, go, the, the cold, the frozen tundra maybe, Lord, or wherever that is, we don't go through it, then we will never see what's on the other side. You're there. And Lord, I'd rather be on that side with you than this side without you. <laughs> with all the excuses and all the status quo and letting myself off the hook. Appropriate caution, yes. Lord, help us as a church. Help us as individuals. Help us as couples. Help us as parents. Help us as a community. Help us as a country to be honest and to be brave. You call us to be brave, to be in full maturity and transformed, to be in full maturity and following after you. Help us now, Lord. Use this week and set it before you. In your name, Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Let's sing before we leave today.